Yo, Sing Bang's gang, how are we going? It's Bryce the Editor here, checking in for the first time in ages. How are we all going? Hope you're doing very, very well. Hope you're enjoying the end of lockdown if you're Melbourne-based or are you just, you know, enjoying the uh, the season of spookiness that it is at the moment as we're recording this. Uh, we're very excited to be coming back and recording more. We've, they've, uh, we've all been very busy over the last little while, uh, but we should be able to get more episodes out more consistently coming up very soon. I uh, just need to pop in uh, for two warnings. First one is a spoiler warning for the hit hit show on Netflix, Squid Game, because of course that has to come up because that is everywhere at the moment. Nothing too heavy, but just keep in mind that they will be spoiling some aspects. Uh, the other one is more serious as they do discuss uh, natures of suicide in this episode. Uh, viewer discretion is always advised. Yeah, I really hope you're all doing very, very well. We love you. Joel and I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land upon which we stand, the Wurundjeri people and the Kurnagana people respectively. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Howdy, flimslings and friends. My name's Matt Annette and this is... We already got him. We got him already. This is the Cinemax Podcast. Uh, I'm here with my best friends in the world, Joel Anderson. An alley full of marbles. That's candles right. Candles made of rambles. And That's my candid style of chatter. Fi high boots covered in plaster splatter. You d- Makeup you- full of sawdust. All right. I've been waiting for this tour bus. Hello. <laughs> and, and returning <laughs> guest. Um, I hope you ha- also have a serenade for us, Mr. Finian Griffin. I'm sorry. This guy sucks. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> off the stage. Off Look, the stage. If I if I knew that Joel was going to come out and give us that bullshit, then I would have prepared something more than flumsies and friendos. I didn't realize I was supposed to prepare slam poetry for the pod. Yeah. Like yeah. That's that's it. We we keep you on your toes on this show. Um, we're back. It's we've we've as you probably noticed, we we haven't released an episode in a little little hot second. Uh, but we're back. We're gonna do we're gonna do this one. And then we might do another one in a couple of weeks. Um, but oh my god, that second was Ooh, so hot, man! So hot! A, what a hot second! Just bubbling, boiling. Um, oh, no, we god. we might actually. I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast, but um, we're probably going to be in a much better position to record episodes of this show because Joel and I are moving in together. We're going to live mm. in a house together, you and me, yeah. and some well, other people, but also you and me. It's going to be a dream. Yeah, that's true. But- we don't have a microphone that will work for that. Yeah, so and we also... Uh, what's happening to the Yetis? What's happening to the Yetis? Uh, I, yeah. uh, we, neither of us have Yetis. <laughs> We need an <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, after doing this for, and it has been a year, I think we, we started this podcast almost exactly over a, year. a year ago. And, um, I think we should probably invest in, uh, good microphones. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right, well, end the end the show. Let's go buy microphones. <laughs> All right, All right. Well, let's wrap if it up. Anyone, let's wrap everyone it up. can send uh, digital money to our email at simangsgmail.com. <laughs> That's always close. Patreon. <laughs> yeah, and, we should start uh, yeah. a Patreon and get like a dollar a month. You That'd can be fucking yeah, sick though. That'd be but yeah. I don't like I don't like taking charity from uh, uh, losers. You know what I mean? Are you calling <laughs> all of our <laughs> listeners losers? <laughs> I only like uh, cool people money. Oh, you know shit, man. G- 
Give him. Give him. I tried to say, fuck you guys. Fuck everyone. I tried to say, get him, but I said, give him. <laughs> give him. So give him that uh, stuff. Give him the cool money. <laughs> recently, I went to the movies to mm. see a famous <sighs> film named Nitram. I'm so jealous. Um, Nitram, Directed by yeah. Justin Kurtzell. Nice. Premier direct Australian um, violent film director. Um, Woo, we love Australia. Really becoming a, a hot favorite of mine. That's great. Um, what else did he do? He's done, he did Ned Kelly, The True Story, that oh, Stan really? original film. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't did, watch that. Uh, he did Snowtown as well. Oh, that one. The other um, one that people didn't want to see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly enough, Nitram is a lot of, lot easier of a watch than um, than Snowtown was, but okay. I won't spoil that too much. Yeah. But when I went to the, the old counter to get my tickets, I'm covered in sawdust. Sorry, not sawdust, <laughs> like uh, paint dust. And sweat, um, directly came directly from work, um, where I you know work uh, just r- roll around on on, on the floor <laughs> work sites apparently where people pour paint all over um, you all day. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. And um, <clears throat> lo and behold, a friend of the show, Alex Boucher, was uh, serving. Oh, Alex Boucher. And I thought I'd give her a shout out because she said I listen to podcast and makes the gym a lot better. Oh, wow, that's beautiful. I didn't know we were that's a gym a cast. Thing. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't expect that. I thought only, people only uh, fingered their assholes and ate Cheetles. <laughs> <laughs> ate Cheetles? <laughs> Is that Don Cheetle snacks? Yeah, Don Cheetle. Don Cheetles. in search of the Cinemax G-spot. Jesus. This is far too graphic for our younger listeners. Um, I'm sorry, Timothy. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet, seven-year-old <laughs> listening sorry, right now. Sorry, T. Right, hot take section. What, what does everyone think of uh, the new Wonka with Timmy Timmy Boy? Oh man, I think he looks fly. He's he looks so fly. fucking he looks beautiful. Very fly. God damn it! But but it needs to be a movie where it's about Willy Wonka, you know, being a colonialist, um, uh, human stealing. Yeah. yeah, like a real like crazy pirate? weird dude. I want yeah. the human trafficking. Because Timothy's so young film. compared yeah. to the Gene Wilder and the the other portrayal. They are getting younger. Yeah. Definitely. Imagine a film about like Timothy Chalamet going to Oopa Loopa Land and just like yeah. installing churches. Oh, That's what I want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think teaching, it would be good. Teaching them the religion of candy. It's like if they yeah. are seeing their exile. <laughs> I, it's like you fucking miss your beat. You know what, boys? I think Mr. Timmy, Timothy Chalamet with this one, I think he's bringing back top hats. Yeah, I think oh. the top hats are back in because of the, the Shalom and the May. And yeah. uh, I, in fact, for, for... I preemptively bought uh, about six to 800 top hats. You can find them at matstophats.com. Bring back Timothy Chalamet. Uh, Trying to sell back I your bought way. about 6,000 bottom hats, which you can find oh, in the gutter. <laughs> you one-up me, man. I worked so no, hard yeah, on yeah. I worked so hard on that joke and you just fucking pulled the rug out from under me. <laughs> so <laughs> and under me it was an it was a bottom hat. It's yeah. funny because there's all this um uh Dune has come out in America but it hasn't mm. yet hit screens in Australia mm-hmm. um mm. really because most of our cinemas are shut down at least where where y'all live. Yeah. Um in the Melbourne area. Yeah. Um but 
The big uh, city. Yeah, I don't give away my address. So I keep seeing <laughs> pr- promo. Finn lives at. For- <laughs> don't at me I- like that. <laughs> Finn lives at Flinders Street pro- Station. <laughs> <laughs> I keep seeing promo for um, Dune along, you know, on my Instagram feed. And then I'll see promo for Wonka. Yeah. Or like those oh, like photos. That's and man. so now I imagine the pictures as him dressed as Willy Wonka in the desert <laughs> with like a feed right tube attached to his nose. Shit. Wow. <laughs> like it's probably gonna be a very interesting body horror. <laughs> I don't know if I've I've mentioned this on the podcast. I'm gonna do it again. Um but at the Melbourne Museum right now, or for a while, there was uh these huge like flags for that were um posters for Dune and they had like the character shots. And each one of them is like Oscar Isaac is Shamadi Bamlam and some like real sci-fi names. <laughs> I, I haven't read that book. I don't know what they're called. But there were some real sci-fi names. Oscar and Isaac then... is Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> <laughs> no, there were like real, real sci-fi names. And then I take another step and I see the Timothy Chalamet one. And it's like Timothy Chalamet is Paul. <laughs> <It's> apparently, <laughs> apparently that's the character's name. <laughs> They've flipped the name scheme around on that one. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't even get a last name. His name's just Paul. <laughs> Ooh, that's tough. Anyway. Paula Abdul. Paula Chalamet. Cat. Um speaking yeah. of Timothy Chalamet. Right, on to the film. Do you think he would be good in the hit nineteen seventy something movie Blue Collar? No. <laughs> no. I think no, it's much too much so, of a snot nosed brat. So for, bad for yeah. <laughs> He's way too sensitive. Dead. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a terrible casting choice. Yeah. All right, that's the all the that's all the discussion of um, That's all the commentary we have Blue on Collar. this. Yeah, that's <laughs> the thing we have. No, Griffin, you did it all again. Right. You brought us a Harvey Keitel movie. You've done it again. Yeah, you f- you're fucking, fucking I'm thinking of Harvey Keitel fan. I'm thinking that every time I come on this pod, I just want to bring another Harvey Keitel picture. I'm okay I just want to bring the I want to bring the hard-hitting Kaitel facts. I think Harvey Kaitel <laughs> might be he's our most younger re- in this film. He is, yeah. I think he might be yeah. our most recurring uh, actor on this podcast. Not that he's been no, on the podcast, but <laughs> but we no, did. Wait, wait, wait. We did him in. That can't be true. No, no, no. Bear with me. All right, he was okay. in Monkey Trouble. Or whatever that one was called. Holy shit, he was in Monkey yeah. Trouble. And then he was, the, he was the gypsy pirate man. And then yeah. he's in this one, and he's also a bad lieutenant. And that's three times, wow. and I think uh, that's... I think that's a lot. Wow. Have we had... Surely we've had Bill Murray three times. We oh, had guys, him had... in both Wes Anderson movies, and nothing yeah. else, yeah. I think. Well, uh, yeah, you guys did Fantastic Mr. Fox and Life Aquatic. Yeah. 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 I think... Surely there's another repeat actor somewhere. No, I'm calling it right here. No one research it. I'm calling it. Nobody look it up. (laughs) Oh, no. Well, actually... I think that you might be actually right, and that's very concerning. Yeah. Dude, I love Kaitel. There's nothing to be concerned about. (laughs) He's He's a really good actor, but I I just want to give another actor more props. One that's, like, less of a... That's an insane sketchy person. guy. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know yeah. about you guys, but Speaking... I associate Harvey Cartel and will forever associate him with his character in Bad Lieutenant. Like, I was... Yeah, and same. this movie, yeah. I kept seeing him on screen being like, when's he going to do some bad shit? <laughs> when's he going to be like... <laughs> when's he just going to do something? something awful? Yeah. yeah. Like, when totally am I going to see his, his beautiful... His dongler. Penis. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. His beautiful uh, drug dealer. Yeah. No. 
No, nothing else about Harvey Keitel's penis. Though he does do drugs no. and yeah. almost see his dick in this movie. Griffin, hey, you brought I'm us this movie. I'm allowed to think things are beautiful. Shut up. Griffin, you brought us this <laughs> movie. When did you first see it? Why do you like it? I actually it? bought it the you, move. Uh, you, I, shut I, I, up, That was Joel. me. He's a guest. Yeah. I actually did this. Yeah, oh, no, what? This, really? is, this is Joel. Oh, yeah. shit. But it's what the hell are you Finn. doing so, here? <laughs> so, like, a week or so ago, Finn and I had a very great conversation when I was down at the old beach town. Mm-hmm. And we had a little chat about uh, the works of um, one Paul Schrader. Ah, uh, yes. Um, and he told me a lot of interesting tidbits that I thought would be good for the show. And this is a movie that I've been wanting to watch for a while because it stars Richard Pryor in a more serious role than he normally yeah. was in. Um, and also, I don't know, it's just a great premise. And a, mm. I don't know, I, uh, I guess I like um, that whole gritty working world Americana mm. union sort of thing Yeah. Um, in my movies. So... Um, yeah, I was like, this seems cool, and I and I know it's on. It was on your watch list as well, Matthew. Yeah. So it's been kicking around on our watch whiffs. What, Matt? What, how did you first hear about this watches? film? I I don't know, man. My watch list is fucking longer than a criminal's rap sheet, and I don't know how everything gets on there. Just sometimes. And that criminal is Harvey Keitel. <laughs> criminal is Harvey Keitel. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I don't mom. know. I I might have I like. One of you might have mentioned it to me before, or maybe I just I think it was fucking me. yeah, potentially. Um, but because I otherwise the, um, the I, poster for the film, uh, at least the the one on um, on Letterbox is different other places, but yeah. it's yeah. very good of of like a wrench yeah. being shut on, or a clamp being shut on like a bunch of workers. Yeah, these three little I, silhouettes. It's, it's very good, very seventies yeah, aesthetic. Um, but yeah, I otherwise I, I haven't really partaken in much of uh, Paul Joseph Schrader's work. I I mean I've seen like Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, but they're like yeah. co-wrote. You know, I, otherwise I think I've only seen First Reformed, yeah. and I don't. I think I've only seen like half of that or something. But but oh, tell me, you've seen tell First me, Reformed. Yeah, what what's yeah. Paul Schrader's deal? What, what, who who is he? Why well, is he? <laughs> I've got a great introduction here. So this is from um one of my all-time favorite books, one of the few books I like to read at least once every year. <laughs> and, uh, Finn I'm reads two books a sentence. year, and this is one of them. <laughs> yeah. One of the few books I like to read, <laughs> other books I love to eat. <laughs> well, I just, um, well, this is, I mean, just, I don't really revisit books a lot. I'll revisit passages from them, but this is a book yeah. that I put in effort like to actually, Bible. like, yeah, I guess so. It's, it's sort of like a... <laughs> I, I don't know. No, I, I have a really relationship to it, I guess. But um, yeah. this book, um, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls by Peter Biskind, which you've probably heard of at some point. It's sort of like this yeah. uh, film history about the era from 1967 to 1981, 82 in film history, specifically in Hollywood. And so there's this great um, little passage I'll just read out that basically, I think like there's no better introduction to who Schrader and his brother Leonard, who you come to realize he's an incredibly important uh, creative collaborator and influence on his life. So I'll just um, read this out. Right from the beginning, guns were an important prop for the growing legend of Paul Schrader. Of course, it was Milius who led him on, if indeed he needed leading. Milius and I were like fire and gasoline, says Schrader. Milius once took him to his sporting goods shop in Beverly Hills in search of a pistol. 
The clerk showed him a 38 that felt good in his hand, cold and hard. He saw a girl over by the tennis rackets, sighted down the barrel at her head, and tracked her around the store as she moved, clicking the trigger a few times. <sighs> if there was ever a cycle you shouldn't sew a gun to, Paul was it, says Milius. I told this story to Scorsese, <laughs> and he put it in a taxi driver. Schrader kept a Smith & Wesson 38 on his bedside table, claiming someone was trying to break into his home, carried another in a glove compartment of his car, waved it around on appropriate occasions to make a point. One day, Beverly Walker, his former girlfriend, came over with a script he had written, a Weston about a female desperado called Pearl the West. According to her, Paul read it, reached for his weapon, waved it around, and said, it needs more of this. Some years later, he was having a party, and Kiki Morris, his assistant, was tidying up the house. She put the gun in a drawer. He entered the bedroom, missed it, and told her, put it back. It's important for my image. Schrader rarely fired his weapons. He was probably more dangerous to himself than to anyone else. Both he and his brother Leonard had a thing about suicide, recalls director Penny Marshall, who knew Paul from those days. He was always talking about it from an anal compulsive point of view. He was going to put a gun in his mouth and pull the trigger, but wrap a towel around his head so that it didn't make much of a mess. Leonard, two years older, had a different attitude towards guns, perhaps because he took suicide more seriously. I was afraid of them, he says. For a very good reason, I was afraid of killing myself. I didn't want to be easy. I'd be sitting alone in some room at three o'clock in the morning with a loaded gun, thinking about blowing my brains out. It was not, I'm having a bad day, I want to kill myself. No, the desire, the need, felt as real as a fucking table. I want to do this, and I never want to do this. I'm three seconds away from it, and I'm three million years away from it. I felt the fever of two things inside me fighting. I was breaking out in a sweat. My temperature was going up from the intensity of it. Sometimes I would just stare at the wall, trying to quiet the heat down. But sometimes the heat kept building, and that's when I was looking for the gun. Triggered by something physical, like I couldn't sleep, I found that if I stuck the barrel in my mouth like some infant's pacifier, I could fall asleep. It worked for two or three weeks, and all of a sudden, it didn't work. I'd been sucking on an empty gun. I knew if I loaded the son of a bitch, I was going to sleep tonight. Paul, too, stepped with a loaded gun. Probably loaded, he says. That's why I went into therapy. It was hard to know what to make of his brother's dark, of the brother's dark infatuation with death. It was strange, wildly anonymous, uh, anomalous in some big Southern California, where the light is so bright it bleaches the shadows. For Milius, guns were shtick. For the Schraders, they were more rooted in something gloomy and self-destructive in their childhood. The family of their father, though not Dutch Calvinists like their mothers, had its own peculiarities. Their father's brother committed suicide while his wife was pregnant with their eighth Just child. Just pause for a second, um, yeah. Finn. Mm -hmm. uh, for context for everyone, a Cal because it's very important for this, a Calvinist is a very extreme, um, incredibly dogmatic and very self-punishing um, uh, creed of Christianity. Anyway, uh -huh. continue. Um, five years later, the eldest son committed suicide on the anniversary of his father's death. Five years after that, the second son committed suicide on the same day. Twenty years later, a third son showed up in Grand Rapids at their father's oil company looking for a job because he was afraid he was going to kill himself on the same day. This is what we grew up with, says Leonard. We had Dutch Calvinism, which an expert told me is a permanent form of mild depression, just nudging us towards suicide. And then we had to keep this secret from everybody that my dad's only relatives were blowing their brains out all the time. I think that Holy is as good an introduction you can get for what the Schraders are about and where they're Wow. That's, uh, just, that's know. a lot. <laughs> so, Paul Schrader We're going to need a trigger guns. one for this that's, one, boys. Yuppie, yuppie. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. The Schraders right, are the, very heavy. The, 
Yeah. The anecdote that um, Finn told me about Paul Schrader that really made me go, well, well, whatsie daisy is when he um, he used to write with a gun to his head um, mm-hmm. and stay up all Fuck night doing me. that, smoking cigarettes and drinking, you know? Yeah. It's that real, like, self-loathing writer thing where it's just like, I need to punish myself to get the most out of it. Yeah. Um, but it's a very interesting example for for me because normally I will just throw that sort of mentality up to being just, you know, total crap. Um, but in this, this circumstance, it actually produces incredible results. Not that it's encouraged yeah. whatsoever, but it's interesting that something so, you know, it, uh, dangerous and, you know, essentially self self harm mm-hmm. can create something um so well crafted yeah um Man, and i just found that quite quite fuck, an interesting anecdote is it worth it though fuck, also, like fuck, no 100% no not at all yeah but normally i hear about that sort of mentality from people that um i then you know don't see the results because it's just like it's almost like an ego thing yeah um mm. in a way um it's like self-importance a yeah. little bit. I know obviously it's very damaged and like it's not something to look down upon. It's more of like, oh, that's a that's an issue that needs mm. to be addressed. But yeah. Um, Man. Uh, so you've seen Raging Bull and Taxi Driver, uh, Mephanu. Yes. Um, and you didn't know that it was written by a real fucked up dude, but you probably could I mean, tell I, that I just by watching the yeah, films. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you particularly, probably imagine, yeah. Particularly Taxi Driver is just like, makes sense. Like, yeah, the, yeah. I mean, literally, literally yeah. anecdotes from fucking Shredder's life were put into that movie, right? Like, about buying the gun. So yeah. that's, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's Paul Schrader, I guess. <laughs> Fuck, yeah, no, there's, so, um, and it's so that's more... interesting you say, yeah. um, sorry, Finn, you mm-hmm. continue. Oh, just some more context about during this period in Hollywood, which, um, I think is one of the most incredibly fascinating periods in film history as you look at 1978 to 1983, like this five-year stretch. And it's the death of the 70s, the death of the otter, and you also have um, the rise of the blockbuster, the rise of the producer and all these different films like Spielberg and Lucas are starting to rise up those Spielberg sort of uh, mm. hits a road bump with 1941 and so on. And during this period, uh, what defines most of the decisions in Hollywood, and it has to be understood, is that, um, like, yeah, cocaine is the biggest force in Hollywood at this time. Like, Schrader... Funny, because I said that as a joke, but that's the real point you were getting to. (laughs) No, Schrader was doing an ounce of coke a week, which is pretty normal. And he was was given um, coke at this time... Uh, he was actually given it first on this set by an assistant, uh, Harold Schneider, wow. who gave it yeah. to who gave it this little vial vial to him, being like, "Oh, you need to um, you'll write better, you'll work harder if you just take this." And also something that has to be understood about this set 
is um, Pryor was lapsing from coke addiction, then flew right back into it because this set was incredibly tense. Yeah, Harvey yeah, Keitel, yeah, Richard Pryor, that. and Yafat Koto got Fucking into um, fi- physical fights. Yeah, yeah. Um, like really? All, Where? Yeah. Well, they actually they couldn't shoot. Uh, there's not a lot of close-ups in the film because they couldn't shoot them because if he ever. Uh, if Schrader ever took a shot of one actor and the other actor wasn't in it, the other actor would just leave the set and go home. So everything had to include all the actors in it, basically. And uh, he God also <laughs> was constantly like worried that um, because basically he'd call cut and the actors would just start fighting each other. It was really yeah. he- yeah. and also like the coke party scene in this film, like. It, they're they're doing sweet and low on camera, but in between takes, all the actors are just doing tons of coke themselves. Yeah, you can definitely <laughs> oh, tell that. Man, you yeah. can definitely tell that from the way he fucks a woman across the floor. Which <laughs> 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 I don't know if you guys like, have done that, that but <laughs> not a great, no, not a great way to travel. No, that's I what mean. we were all saying, and why they were doing that. I was watching it with like three or four people, and we were all like. <laughs> And that would hurt so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I've done sex on the floor, and it's just not great. And, uh, and the, the, the added, but it's not just that. that. Well, it's just it can like, be good, you're doing but an, like you're doing an army crawl while having. Yeah, sex. yeah. The added like actual movement, like yeah, it's. God. Oh my god! Yeah, what a sweaty I, mess. I read a story about um Richard Pryor. Uh, apparently he pointed a gun at Schrader and said that there was no way he would ever do more than three takes for a scene. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, apparently, uh, apparently, who knows why? But apparently, this we laugh, tr- but this that was, is fucked. <laughs> yeah, apparently, this was uh, part of the trigger for Schrader's nervous breakdown, which happened around that time. Which you know, that that kind of yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, one of the. No, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, go. Oh, going off of that uh, nervous breakdown. This is a quote from Schrader. So. After about three weeks in, all of a sudden I started crying and I just couldn't stop. Richard looked at me and said, you pussy, are you going to be a man or not? <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like Pryor apparently would come in because he had, he suffered from massive mood swings. I mean, he has an incredibly damaged history as well, which we can get into later. But um, he would come in one day and be super lovely and gracious himself to everyone. And then he would come in the next day and just instigate like racial conflict on set and would just be starting fights with anyone, basically. Dude, because he was wow. just constantly up and down. Yeah. It's quite interesting, this backstory of the film, because I found the acting in this film is supremely good, especially mm. considering the context that we're now learning about. Yeah. Um, I think it. I think it almost like benefits the film, though. It's like it's sensationally yeah. like yeah. upsetting. Like all of, everyone on screen is just fucking furious with each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Plays into but earlier in the film, when they're friends, mm-hmm. it's played quite well, and you know, you it's de- certainly believable, um, and a bit more subtle than it is later in the film, where things get more complicated and. And such, but towards the end, where there there actually starts being real fights and and real tension, the tension mm. feels so real, and yeah, that's yeah. probably because totally. it fucking was. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I'm thinking of that um that that scene near the end where Harvey Keitel's walking through the the factory, and him and Richard Pryor just start to get into it a little bit, and Keitel has to be held back by the the FBI guy, and it's like I like it, I didn't realize at the time, but it feels so good, like they're just they just 
really yeah. mean what the fuck they're saying. And like, especially yeah. reading the backstory, like they really meant what they were saying, you know? Like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and apparently, and, like um, Pryor would, Richard Pryor would, part of his his frustration on on Schrader's part was that Pryor would just want to improvise so many of his lines, yeah. and he would just go off on these tangents when he'd have like one line or something. And apparently Kaitel got so frustrated by that, that at one point he, um, he threw an ashtray into the camera lens, which obviously ruined that take. And then Pryor and uh, his bodyguard, apparently they had bodyguards on set, uh, responded yeah. by pinning Kaitel to the floor and pummeling him with their fists. So they just beat the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, that actually happened. Like it is. And I think it's, I'm, this might be the same scene or a different scene. But it uh, happened very early on. So, um, you know, the scene around the start of the film when uh, the FBI agent first comes and they're all just kind of like having drinks at the bar yeah. together? Yeah. Well, apparently in that scene, there's this conversation between uh, Jerry and Zeke. And so they're kind of like going back and forth. And then Pryor just goes off on like this long, mm. like, you know, jivey improv thing. And then Kaitel starts doing that with him. Then Kaitel looked into the lens. And just said cut after a while, and then Pryor just like fucking jumped him. Just yeah, well, fuck. Like, oh my god! <laughs> wow. And, and also, this is Schrader's first time as a director as well. So you just like, can you just imagine just like the meltdown he would be having? Uh, uh, just to 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 um burrow into the Pryor thing. Richard Pryor is one of the you know most genius comedians ever. Mm-hmm. He is he's the Easy. comedian's comedian. Like yeah. people always, you know, comedians will always, you know, quite often cite him as the, you know, the greatest to ever do it. Yeah. And um was quite politically outspoken and uh a real firebrand in a lot of ways. I mean, he was one of the he was the first person to defend, I guess, in court obscenity charges and was actually um a big uh uh, Richard Pryor for sorry <laughs> nice uh, um, for for freedom of speech mm-hmm. um yeah so a real historic guy and yeah. this is his first um straight up uh you know non funny time film mm-hmm. um and from what I from from my knowledge at least I've seen uh, Bruce's Millions which I believe was fought before this mm-hmm. um. Before this film, he was just doing comedic star vehicles where I imagine he could just fucking do whatever he wanted on set. Yeah, yeah, probably. In comparison to this where it's a, a team, it's a team effort, you know, comparatively. So, mm. yeah, it would have just, it's you know, and added that they just ended up really disliking each other. It's just, yeah, just a, a recipe for disaster, mm. which makes the quality of this film... Uh, um, so impressive because i find this like a very like very good film mm. i think it's great yeah yeah it's almost it's almost funny how like the um the parallels between like the so like we when we were watching this movie we were sort of making fun of it for like every time they cut back to a shot of the factory and they played that um they played the what's the song called hard working man hard working they man. played that at right yeah. at the start and yeah. i was like 
fuck yeah, baby, I'm yeah. in. I know, <laughs> I know. When it starts it's playing at the start, I'm like, oh, so it's great. gritty, it's grimy, piss yeah. but yes. Definitely easy to make fun of. Yeah, but it's you, it's to- it's just like like especially in hindsight, you know, fifty years removed, it's so hilariously like, yeah, man yeah. stuff. We're just hitting metal. Yes. We're looking at sparks. We're listening to rock music. Like we don't fucking. <laughs> it's it's just so funny. And like, we're not getting paid fairly. <laughs> the fact that there's all of these dudes on set who are constantly just like having these dick measuring contests. It's being directed by a guy who has insane problems with like, you know, depression and unrealized yeah. mental health. It's like, man, this was not a healthy place <laughs> for a bunch of no. men and probably yeah. more unhealthy for any women who happen to be on set too. But fuck, it's just Dude, like, yeah. it's it's just sort of cartoonish in that way. But it's also like, it is, you know, like Detroit. Incredibly topical. Yeah, 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 totally. Like, Detroit's history with like union corruption and with um with motor factors and everything like it's not yeah. sort of inaccurate in that way I don't think you know no no a hundred percent I mean it's quite um that's what from what I've heard at least from Finn uh, Paul Strader's films are very social issue based and mm. dive right deep into whatever issue it is about um and not necessarily just social issues just different you know. They uh like for example the um the one about Guantanamo Bay, um yeah, yeah anyway, the most so, recent one the card counter which yeah. like kind of, it's not really about Guantanamo Bay but it it implements a lot of those elements within it yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah. A, it explores those themes oh it's got yeah. oh, that, Oscar that, Isaac that, that issue Willem Dafoe uh-huh. yeah that's um oh, wow. that's sort of in so Schrader has his man in a room um oeuvre which is basically kind of like his most personal films where he basically uh taxi driver is the most well-known example of it but they're films about uh men who are alone who often have like death wishes or are involved in some really scummy aspect of the world and have a sort of like strange code to their life and they basically Mm. they go out they do their thing they do it at an incredibly high level they come back and they like you know, recite Marcus Aridius and shit and why yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like so first insane. reformed is like an example of that. It's the exact sort of film which is going uh very out of style as people care about things more and is the exact sort of film that an idiot will write as their first film and think it's good, but they are actually very good. With um with uh it was interesting you said with Taxi Driver I thought that movie's really great, but um, Raging Bull to me, I can't even watch it. I can't, I can't sit through it. Oh, Raging Bull is like, but is like a one watch film. Like that is an incredibly yeah. upsetting mm. movie. Yeah, yeah. It's like okay, let me just watch like incredibly graphic depictions of domestic abuse for like exactly. two yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah, and just, just, just men being just horrible. You know? <laughs> horrible and, yeah. Um, mm. And yeah, uh, sorry. But But um, something that, so you mentioned those films, like the, I was calling like the man room films. Yes. Which 100% those are films that like, you're like, oh, I'm an edgy writer. I've read like Nietzsche and Camus. I'm going to like write a film like this. You know, they're they're very like attractive to people first coming out to have like, you think they have like a dark side themselves and. Right, yeah. stuff like I that. I like Joker and, film. Yeah, the kind of very like love Midnight in Paris. 
Oh no, I feel like it's a different side of the spectrum, but it's still the same <laughs> spectrum. But um but yeah, like still really not liking that side of the but something that's fascinating is that stars just seem to gravitate towards those films like Moths to a Fame, Flame. They just love it. Every yeah. single time like a film like that it's is like an made, ego thing. even if it's yeah. not a good film. For example, you take The Gambler, the recent one with Mark, with Mark Wahlberg, which is a remake yeah. of um, one of James Caan in it. That's just a bad film, but it just, and yeah. it's like a no-name director. But then Mark Wahlberg is like, bam, I'm there. You know? Well, it comes from that yeah. old Western tradition of like fucking John Wayne and shit, where it's like, yeah, that's I'm true. A, I'm the guy. Be the I'm guy. I'm the film guy. Yeah. I'm the guy. You know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and often if it's not like done great, it's not good because yeah. it's just like so egocentric and mm. yeah. Well, because those well those movies walk the line between like comedically serious and serious and masculine and like edgy and yeah. intense. And if you don't get edgy yeah. and intense, then it's that's generally not it's, it's kind of a laugh well, i know i made like, the joke but it's why it's why the film the the film joker is so good because it's done um in, with in an incredibly nuanced way and then just performed to the maximum c- capacity like it's as good as the performance of that as you could get look man yeah. i've um, only seen the italian dubbed version of that movie and i found it to be <laughs> I think good. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Look, I really... Uh, I, I wanted wine and a pasta. <laughs> I mean, I really zag hard on Joker where it's like, I enjoy that film and it's well made, but I just think the films yeah. it's referencing are so unbelievably superior yes, to it. Yes, yeah. for sure. For sure. But I think that... I think that... And I like think it I've suffers heard that from being s- overly said before. Yeah. Compared to, like, you know, other films of a similar... Yeah, Pilk. man. I think a... it helps for me that I just like the Joker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the IP built into it. Exactly. It's yeah. a genius marketing decision because they're taking oh, a, it's a, a pre-established IP. Decision. Like comic books are yeah. at, the, more popular than they've ever been, and. They're just like, oh, well, let's make Taxi Driver, but instead of fucking De Niro, it's mm-hmm. a character that everyone wants to see more of anyway. Like, it's just yeah. like... Lately, I've been watching that Wu-Tang show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, What's that like? And that show is not good. Oh, that's a shame. But I love Wu-Tang <laughs> yeah. quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. So I really like that show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that exactly. Happens. It's like, um, you know, it's like Shang-Chi, for example, which recently came out. It's not like an incredible film, but it has really cool action sequences and it's referencing yeah. such a rich tradition of like Hong Kong Kung Fu films from the seventies. Like, right. you know, uh, the big boss, this is theory into the dragon, like all of that, all those great Bruce Lee films. Mm. Like that... Wu Tang versus Shaolin. <laughs> yeah. I, I, just, I don't know. I just find that stuff where it's like, <laughs> I like it when film, you know, has that built in IP and works with it. It was like, yeah, I have my issues with Joker because I don't think yeah. it's like some cinematic masterpiece that some people prop it up as. Yeah. But I would get, I would take one of those eight, like ten times out of ten compared to like you know Endgame or something like that, which is like obviously those are great and serve their own purpose, yeah. but just I mean, very different. We we don't like to compare trauma on the show, so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still um, haven't seen that movie. Joker, Fucking stupid movie. No, I just talked about Joker. I know that's Endgame. what I was saying. <laughs> Shang Chi. Yeah. Also, you haven't seen Endgame wrote... either. Oh, you're cool. I wrote down. Cool guy. Guy. That's cool. Getting oh, back. Man, that's so cool. Just let Finn talk. 
<laughs> no. Getting back to Blue Collar. This is my podcast! <laughs> Getting back to the film. Um, yeah, sorry. I wrote down some quotes from it when I was watching it, and I, this is the quote that really stood out to me. So it comes from that Get section. out of my face, you motherfucker. <laughs> What's his thesis shit? Something to do with shit. sex? <laughs> but it's, um, it's in that great... So I feel like there, there are like two or three really like transcendent scenes in the film. One of them is a conversation between Kaito and Pryor on Pryor's porch, which I just think is unbelievable. Yeah. And Schrader just like off his yes. board, just like going for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other two happen at Smokey's house. The first one being at the end of the Coke party. And they're basically like, man, I'm so Sitting depressed. on the couch defeated. Yeah, yeah. What is my like life come to? Which is actually the last shot they shot in the film, which just works perfectly. Because they just mm-hmm. captured. Oh my God. I was actually going to, I was going to suggest that that might be the case because they look genuinely hungover and fucked. Yeah, like yeah, they look, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really they look good. Like, you know when you see your friend in the yeah. morning after you've drunk a lot and you're just yeah. like, <laughs> man, you're gross. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't stand up. Yeah. Go and have it, a shower. Yeah, 100%. It's like it really, it genuinely portrays that feeling of like um, what it, what it actually feels like to have had a massive night or, or be suffering from a terrible come down and like all of a sudden yeah. like all of like uh, your anxiety depression everything just comes out and you just yeah. feel like muttering and kind of like dealing with like oh well like everything is bad and really bad yeah but the next scene is where the quote comes from and it's when um zeke has just got the ledger and is now showing it to them and being like hey there are these legal loans around this argument about whether they use it to blackmail them or whether they use it to fight the union, which is just a fascinating debate in and of itself. It's like, do I put myself forward or do I put the you or do I put like the community forward? And they both, you know, just like a debate that ensues is really interesting. But Smokey, who just has some fucking killer lines in the film, has this great retort when um when he's like, You guys don't know what you're talking about, and it's going at him. And he's like, You're trying to hurt somebody instead of helping yourself. That's your problem. And for me, that's the film that's that's the line that summarizes the entire film and the issues of these characters. It's like yeah. they're trying to attack and you know conf- conflict and defeat and hurt others instead of helping themselves, which leads to all of these conflicts within it. And it's just like it's so tied up in you know Schrader's oh, helping central, each other. Yeah, it's so tied up in Schrader's like central preoccupation, which is he's just fascinated by. Um, the ways in which uh, people act against their own interests actively, like people are constantly uh, just trying to like hurt themselves instead of help themselves or hurt others mm-hmm. instead yeah. of help themselves. It's like, mm-hmm. for example, you look at Taxi Driver, why did Travis take Betsy to the porno theater? It's because he never wanted to date her in the first place. He just wanted to bring her down to his level. He just wants like, to crush this icon. He's an Yeah, we just want to crush his icon, this ideal that she represents. Yeah. Because I feel like that's where, like, masculinity and depression really mix, where you're like, well, everything sucks for me, and then you have this, like, this, you know, this competition built into you where you're like, oh, well, if I'm sad, everyone else has to be sad too. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. and also, like, I can't, you know, be upfront about my sadness because I'm just going to meet, yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. It's shit. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or like you're not even gonna get really any any you know articulate response that 
is yeah. helpful in any way. Well, it's like you're totally enabled to be vulnerable with people because you're almost unaware of your own like sadness or depression because it's so exactly, just like yeah. covered and just like beaten down and hidden away from like yeah, your yeah, conscious yeah. brain. Yeah. You know, just through everything yeah. you do. Like you just can't even acknowledge that you're not feeling well. I have a I have a surprising parallel. Um this film is uh you know what it's actually not a very you know I was going to make a broader parallel than I'll make because but it's too difficult and probably wrong. But it's quite interesting to um one of the things that attracted me to this movie the most was that it's set in Detroit within um within auto manufacturing companies, mm-hmm. which yeah. is just some of the most interesting Isn't history, it? especially yeah. to do with this, the strikes and... Um, Union uh, corruption the, and stuff. The, you, you know, the Ford, Ford as a corporation itself is, you mm-hmm. know, that were Nazis. So, um, yeah, it was interesting to see uh, that big fucking Ford logo and the suggestion that yeah. this has actually been filmed inside of a Ford factory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And playing with the idea that it's not a good situation. Mm. You know, it's sort of like um, Nomadland with Amazon and mm-hmm. how they allowed them to film in that, even though they, you know, go on to talk about how f- fucked up it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. And that, that um, scene and where I, you see the big Ford badge behind them is so yeah. telling because that's the scene where they decide like, oh, we have to like stop being friends. Like this fucking sucks. <laughs> and it's just like literally yeah. and the Ford logo lording over them. Like, yeah, keep going. Exactly. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. And um, it's also quite interesting uh, towards the beginning of the film, I think the first time they're having a union meeting, Richard Pryor stands up and he's like, oh, you're making all this money, you know, maybe I should do, I should be the fucking boss man of the yeah. union. Mm. And then I would also go and uh, <laughs> be corrupt. <laughs> and like, <laughs> yeah. makes, that is a joke. But there's actually, that's actually such a important point uh, for things like a union and things like politics is that quite a lot of responsibility very hard to do um incredibly hard to balance everyone's you know wants and that is a big reason why positions like that are so often filled by people that are corrupt yeah. you know yeah. because it attracts its you know it it's hard it's hard to find someone to do that position and be you know be, completely altruistic you know, yeah. for good yeah, yeah be righteous about that it just, you know that just it, reminds it's, me it's, of it's, like, it's like a yeah. it's like a being a police person you know it breeds exactly. yeah. that 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 shitty asshole you know um oh, that's yeah. just a hundred percent reminds me of just like a couple of things that you know one that scene is literally just prior just doing stand-up which is fantastic yeah. Yeah. i love that like trader just steps back and lets prior just cook He's yeah, just and up there. It's, he's you just can doing a stand-up see him when he gets on a roll too. Like he's just fucking. Oh yeah, out like I love it. Like when the with the union rep tries to deflect him, he's like, "No, I'll catch that size." <laughs> yeah, he's just like, he's "Oh, so like good. that whole hand movement and everything is so yeah. good." And also, it's like, almost I love- like he's waiting for people to laugh, even though they're yeah. sitting yeah. there yeah. on page to not really laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like, I love the way um, in the bowling scene when a prior is trying to Great tell uh, Kaitel about the ledger, and then he has to get up and bowl. And he's just, yep. the, I love the way, like, he, like, kind of tilts his head and is like, coming at ya. And it just, like, <laughs> gets up. I don't know. I just always, like, every time I rewatch that this film, I'm like, ah, so good. Yeah. But um, also within that scene, this is just something that I just have to, like, have out for a moment. It's like, Schrader is such an unbelievably good fucking screenwriter. 
Mm. Everything is so clearly laid out, foreshadowed, integrated. Like the whole idea you were talking about, Joel, um, of like how difficult it is to actually make changes. And you got yep. and you got Zeke, this one character played by Pryor, who's like, okay, he's trying to get up there, he's trying to change things, he's got the issue with the locker. And then he goes in to have the union meeting with the you know actual union boss. And that guy, you hear, he's like, oh, back in the 1930s, he was a real ball buster, but he's had to make concessions, make compromises, and now he's just kind of like, you know, a lying scumbag. He's been broken by the system. And you already see, like, Schrader's foreshadowing that this is the exact arc that prior is going to happen. And it's yeah. happening from the very beginning, from the introduction mm-hmm. of these characters. And it's all played out throughout. And just, like, everything within it is just so finely tuned that the more you watch it the more you just like you know admires the sheer craftsmanship of it the only thing the only thing i'd say to that i do agree with that but the um that line from yafet koto about like uh when i think it's when they're just hanging out at his house like trying to figure what figure out what to do with the ledger and he's like man they just like they just find ways to turn us against each other no matter what mm-hmm. and then they over the ending they just they just oh yeah, yeah no, 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 no. exactly like exactly a little bit heavy-handed yeah. but yeah we get the idea oh, you know like no it's, no, no, it's no, no, no i totally agree that's like my one major nitpick of the film. <laughs> like, why the fuck did you guys put in the voiceover at the end there it's like it's just the one yeah. thing keeping it from being really like perfect in my mind yeah, like yeah. why is that there yeah. yeah, because really the final yeah, that, scene that, is my one issue with the entire film. That that final scene, I said to Finn Gri- Finn uh, Finn Griffin, yeah, um, friend of the show, afterwards that um, yeah, uh, which, I wish he was here to which hear it. Finn, but, are you talking um, about? Hold on, which Finn? Finn Griffin. Finn. Um, okay, I said said to okay. him afterwards that um, that that scene is very theatrical because yeah. it's played like you know each side is on either side of the screen mm. and then they you know are exchanging these very impactfully you know racial racial quips yeah. and yeah. a lot of words trying to that. hurt each other's feelings yeah a lot of lot of <laughs> horrible a lot of language, everything in there um, yeah yeah no, nothing unrealistic and yeah, uh, exactly. and then they like sort of jump at each other and it freezes <laughs> Freeze frames. like i'm watching i'm watching a fucking <laughs> sitcom from the 50s I know, right? and, yeah. you know like okay but uh, serious... and, then, and then there's the voiceover but at the same time i really loved it for that reason mm-hmm. too i don't know serious moment it was, it was a serious moment and like it was it was good ending and everything but at the freeze yeah. frame one of the housemates that i was watching it with was like yeah that's me you're probably wondering how i got here <laughs> <laughs> just cut to the netflix you, this is me <laughs> <laughs> but the fade the, that um that red or orange you depending probably on how wondering how i ended are. up calling my friend the end <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that the the color that it fades to that the credits roll through is so fucking hurts your eyes so great it's oh like it's so offensive like but i mean it's like oh my god it's the it's like the essence of the film it's so crass and it's so yeah. nasty and hard to look at and you're just like ah ah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's really it's it's meant to get under your skin. And, and something else that I, I really love the scene uh where Yafet Kodo is at the bar, realizes that these um two uh people from the union yeah. are gonna go over to kind of like jump uh Kaitel's wife, and then he mm-hmm. goes there and beats them up. But I love particularly I love because the way Schrader films violence 
is exceptional. It's nothing like Tarantino. It doesn't <laughs> glamorize it at all. Yeah. It is super stark and just kind of nasty and gross and just like upsetting. Yeah. I yeah, that's uh, when 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 we had that conversation that I've I've mm-hmm. mentioned a few times on the on the podcast. Sort of drew me to want to go and watch more films because I find that um, actually frustrating in all these Hollywood films where violence is you know gl- glorified and made. And also lacks the impact that it could have, mm-hmm. which mm. then affects the film quality overall, in my opinion. Yeah. Because yeah. A, a slap in a film, a lot of the time, is just like so inconsequential, un- but inconsequential, mm. inconsequential. But in if you ever see someone actually get slapped in real life, you're like, holy shit! Whoa! Oh my god! <laughs> like you get like sort of petrified for a second, like. Yeah, and 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 films where they've actually you can actually you know put that weight behind it, it yeah, it's incredibly effective and yeah. makes for, in my opinion, a very good film. Because violence um, in films is almost always treated as ecstasy. You know, it's mm. the release yeah. of tension. It's the climax. It's the you yeah, know, it's yeah, that yeah. feeling of oh, and, and like so an art good. and an yeah. art form as well. Which I I you know, there's something too like kung fu. Uh, old kung fu films and choreo- fight choreography even yeah. in new like um newer action films like uh, superhero films there's yeah. definitely an art to that and that is almost it's almost a separate thing mm-hmm. but it's still it's not as, yeah but it's not i would say it's not a good thing really overall because yeah. it just yeah. means that violence is cuz like is i feel like violence in superhero films is just sort of like this numbing thing like it's um totally. it's like yeah. violence and, and like video but every games, now like, and again i'll watch I'll watch a Doctor Strange and there'll be a fight scene with magic going on or something. And I'm like, wow, this is really cool. This is like mm. quite artful. But because at that point, um, it's, about, to watch. it's about the method of violence. It's like in something like Doctor yeah. Strange, it's like, oh, it's entertaining because they're like flipping the world around and shit. But in, you know, like fucking Captain America and whatever, where they just punch and kick each other. It's like, okay, well, this is not a Tarantino movie and not a an Asian Kung Fu movie. So it's not yeah. that entertaining when you kick and punch each other for a while. Like, <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. Depending I mean, on how it's yeah. done, though. Because sometimes it can be very creative. Like, you've got a film like uh, The Man from Uncle, for example. Mm. The fight scenes in that, that, that movie. I'm not really a big fight scene guy, unless it's quite realistic. But in yeah. that movie, they're quite enjoyable to watch because they're so over the top. Yeah. And, in, you know, artful. Yeah, because it's like um, it's this guy Richie just doing his thing, you know. He's yeah. like he's like yeah, 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 totally. yeah. just like going for it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I just um that was just something that I always was very attracted to with Schrader's work. Cause I think he really understands the use of violence in cinema as ecstasy. Like something he talks about in his interviews. Um and by the way, definitely check out his interviews just because he is unbelievably intelligent despite being like seriously mentally deranged mm, he yeah. is like he is fantastic insights and his screenwriting lectures are like far none the best i've ever listened to um but aside from that tangent he uh he understands like in america for example you don't take uh like violence out on yourself you don't punish yourself to punish yourself to punish others so you mm. take it out yeah. on the world around you. Yeah. And it's something he's keenly aware of and sort of troubled by, or at least the way he presents it in his films, he always seems very wary of it. Like I really get the sense that he's someone who's just like deeply uh, suspicious of whether or not like humans are good or, you know, humanity is a good thing for the world or is like even worth trying to keep humans alive or worth or, or keeping us around at all. 
you know, so you like this, there's like this really deep seated, like pessimistic, uh, concern. Cause he doesn't want, yeah. I, I can sense that he doesn't want to be pessimistic. Like there's an optimistic side to him that's constantly fighting against it, which is why I'm so attracted to his work as opposed to other directors who are so focused on the darkness, which is just, just fully kind of embrace that without, you know, pointing towards a sort of optimism. Yeah. yeah. And that, yeah. Like a, um, who did a uh, house that Jack built? Um, uh, Lars von Trier. Yeah. Like, like someone like that where it's, yeah, it's just like, you're, yeah. it's just, it's you're just, back. yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting, like no, talking about Schroeder's, how he deals with violence and, and sort of his almost obsession with death. It's, interesting to think about the Yafat Koto's death scene in this movie where it's mm. not violent and it's very it's sort of this like very tragic very very long drawn out shots of it's him just like literally out. stumbling yeah. in circles being like like slowly realizing that he's gonna die like it's like it's mm-hmm. a good example yeah sorry no no that's good. sorry it's a good example of um often it's a hard thing in in to do in movies where you give the audience the information that the characters on screen don't have, it can, you know, suspend disbelief and Mm -hmm. be quite an issue. But in this scene, it definitely adds to it. It's like in a horror film Mm. where you know that he's, he's being set up to die and he is slowly realizing that. And that, you know, just adds all, you know, so much more weight to, to what, to, to the scene itself. Otherwise as an audience, a member you're just like oh he's gonna this is a scene where he paints a car (laughs) Um, (laughs) which i would have liked to watch but um not not many people would back to that um glamorizing violence thing um uh that's that is maybe the key thing with uh justin kurtzell um nit ram and snowtown Mm. Mm. Ah, why circle. I like his film Genius. so much. Mm-hmm. Snowtown in particular, and Net Ram as well, is the most brutal violence I've seen in a film. Yeah, the right. most like, holy shit, that feels real. Mm-hmm. You know, if if people go get the ch- get the chance to see Net Ram, you know, uh, it considering the topic is not that you know uh, violent of a mm. film, but the few instances of that violence are incredibly impactful mm. yeah but i think um, i think and you're just like holy shit stop you know like i yeah. think a movie like that great. also like its reputation precedes it as a number one a true event number two a yeah. true event where violence affected a lot of real people that makes it hit a lot mm. harder yes. than something like a tarantino movie where it's like oh yeah i'm going into mm. this because i know like i'm gonna see some like cool fist fights and sword fights and whatever compared yeah. to oh shit this is like this is essentially a real trauma being made into entertainment. But as you say, mm. it's, it's dealt with, I don't know. It seems to be dealt with. Um, yeah, for sure. Well. For sure. But at, in other instances, when it is a true story, it can still, you know, veer into that realm of being, you know, glamorized yeah. movie violence right, right. quite easily. And I've also seen instances where it's a totally made up story, but the violence is very real and cutting. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, and um, for example, in Wu Tang, that which is a so I've been watching, there's a scene mm-hmm. where uh, a house gets shot up, and I'm just like, eh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in other, if you, if you did it, you know, in another way, mm. and not necessarily to say if you did it right, but in my opinion, if you did it right, oh, that would have been like 
incredibly hard to watch mm. in yeah. a way because yeah but um hot hot button hot button uh uh show at the moment um squid game squid game because i think yeah. squid game if if you got either of you watched it um, mm-hmm. uh, i won't be spoiling anything but it is a very good example of violence in a mainstream thing that is cutting and is mm. like holy shit yeah. that person just got fucking shot yeah um yeah. But at the same time, it shows how fucking difficult it is to pull it off because by halfway through the season, you're you're used to the violence. Yeah. You don't care anymore because mm. you've seen it happen yeah. over and over and again. And you want, mm-hmm. in that show particularly, you are hanging out for it. the next game, which is inherently yeah. another great act of violence. And it's just like, yeah, yeah it, it is. It, I think they're spaced out enough that it's still a little bit, like, like gives you the shivers a little bit when you see it. But yeah, I don't know. I... I t- that show is good, but I... It's an interesting totally... study on that that particular, you know, the way violence is directed and how it plays on the audience. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. show is yeah, I a just, very interesting study in that. I have to say, I that show is good, but I really, really don't know why it's so fucking successful. <laughs> like, it's literally the most watched show on Netflix ever. I don't... Yeah. I, it's, I, it's good, I know why. But what the fuck? I think like, it's because it's titillating. I know why. It's exciting because it's a it's titillating and two, it nice. is a a you don't know what the fuck it is until you watch it. Yeah, yeah. So you have to watch it to be like, what the fuck is everyone yeah. talking? And about? Yeah, it, just... it balances that level of ambiguity incredibly effectively, where it's like all I saw for like press for it were people uploading photos like me before Squid Game, me after Squid yeah. Game. It's exactly. like these two photos, it, and just like it, it just makes breeds... me like, oh, like what what is this? Like what's making people feel it, this way? That seems interesting. It breeds a conversation around the show, yeah. Which that conversation may, has made it very popular because everyone's mm-hmm. like what the fuck are they talking about like why does it matter if you can make a cookie get cut like but, yeah. what the fuck yeah but i don't think yeah. it hasn't bred the conversation that it should which is hey money's bad for this hundred percent i mean it's actually done the opposite yeah yeah, um, yeah. in yeah, fact exactly. like there's yeah. in abu dhabi they're going to make a Our apparently they're going to make a <laughs> As, yeah. if, as if the message well, that's around that wasn't clear enough. Yeah, well, that's something that I find so kind of interesting. And just going back to the point of like, can cinema actually portray something without glamorizing it in some aspect? Because there's a great history of filmmakers making films about a filthy side of humanity to be like, look, this is awful. We shouldn't yeah, do this. Yeah. We should well, change. And yeah. then people turn to that. Is yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, not... I mean, but like an, exa- an, ex- <laughs> an example of it for, uh, is uh, the film Wall Street from 1987, yes. which is this film from Oliver or Stone. Or Wolf of Wall Street. Shut yeah, up. Wolf of Wall Street is... Okay, settle down. I think Wolf of Wall Street is the best film of like, the <laughs> last decade. I ride Wait, so really? hard in Wolf Do of you Wall really? Street. No, I'm not even joking. God. No, I've watched, I've watched that yeah, film like yeah, 20 but, times. I ride so uh, hard. Yeah, God. 100%. And that's, that's fine. You know, it's a good movie. But it is a hundred percent of this film is about why this is bad. Yeah. But the audience takes but it's it not as popular because, fuck yeah, they yeah. threw a midget. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. and the final shot of it is literally looking back at the audience and being like, "You watch this. Think about yourself. Yeah. Why yeah. are you watching this?" Yeah, but yeah. it doesn't work, unfortunately, but, to, no, to a okay. larger yeah. you know audience. To, to, I think that's more of to, an inherent issue with the form of cinema, though, and the way in our relationship to it. To, yeah. to talk about, like, what you mentioned, Griffin, about, like, can cinema 
um, portray something without making it entertaining. Like we had this conversation surrounding Come and See when we watched that yeah, yeah, about yeah, war yeah, films yeah. because like, I mean, as we said there, like you can't make you, you, I mean, it's basically impossible to make a film that really depicts the brutality and, and horror of war and still yeah. make people want to see it, right? And Come and See is, I think, yeah. as we said, I think that's as close as we've gotten because that movie is legitimately fucking traumatizing. But, but yeah, yeah I mean, uh, Squid Ga- to go back to Squid Game, I think that movie, uh, that, that TV show, I think it lost a lot of credence by the end because it didn't really stick to its guns. It seemed like it had this... Yeah. It seems like it had this grand idea of hammering home the me- this message of you know these people's conquest for riches absolutely li- literally ended their lives in most cases and destroyed their lives the ones who got out, but they they decided to end it with oh but there's gonna be a sequel too like I, I, I get that these people yeah. have got to make got to get a paycheck and you know that's your livelihood mm. but fuck man like you should have just ended on that shot of him on his knees cradling his dead mother's head in his hands like yeah. that that's all mm. you needed and you know I, I don't know if you like squid game watch something like parasite which executes on that far better oh yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Or, or the film that it that it's uh semi based on as the gods will Finn. yeah right um okay. and also with squid game to to finish that up i think that that's a good show to the point where at certain times in the show when i was watching it those most impactful times during the actual games I, I was saying to my brother who i was watching with it i was like fuck this is really good this is like mm. excellent i'm so glad that mm. this this got made yeah and then by the end of it i was like meh yeah i think that that was sort of shit i agree because and because and a big part of that is uh a big thing in horror making horror movies is not showing the monster yeah and mm. in Squid Game, they show the monster, which is the billionaire characters, way too much. Yeah. And it mm. fucking ruins and, the, yeah, the, all the of, show. All of those fucking white actors in that scene, those scenes are just so horrible. Like, they're written really badly. I think the, the lines act, are delivered yeah, ridiculously. The like, in particular is so shit yeah, for yeah, them. Yeah. And the acting, the acting is also not great, but... They're working with such shit writing, man. Like, oh yeah. my god. Yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a very like it, it's you know goes both ways, and it's hypocritical to even say. But it's like obviously, um, Western uh, films and media often yes. do a poor job of portraying people in the East. But people in the East yeah. also do a terrible job. Of well, yeah, people I mean, in the West. it's like their characters are yeah, cartoonishly I mean, rich white people, so they wrote them as cartoonishly yeah. rich white people. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, I just yeah. as someone who's like a huge fan of like manga and anime every time an american character shows up it's like they're just totally. like a douchebag yes. who loves money yeah. and loves women <laughs> and just hates everyone yeah. and you're just like yeah. wow yeah this is what which you in a way america. i kind of like that that's the case but yeah. it definitely doesn't work for like good writing yeah yeah, yeah. like I've, um, I've almost never seen like an american in like an anime show actually be like a, like somewhat like nice decent human they're always just like terrible scum of the earth yeah 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 to go back to the conversation about um is something that is inherently uh, you know is film because it's inherently meant to entertain good for discussing serious topics uh, i guess that's uh probably worded that <laughs> that's best, okay we know where you're going quite in, <laughs> we got the quite point. interesting with um particularly horror film right because horror film is 
the goal of most horror films is to make you uncomfortable, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which there's not much entertainment out there that that is the point of it. You know, no, but there, um, but there is. I mean, I guess that's it's how you, but you there define is, I guess, entertainment. Yeah. But like part of that, the attraction of horror movies is. I, I think I heard someone describe it once as the same sort of thing that attracts people to roller coasters, where it just gives. Oh you yeah, this, no, that's exactly. Yeah. 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 As I said that, I realized it wasn't right, but it is interesting within the context of film the divide that it creates. Yeah, because mm-hmm. there's so many people that are like that that I know that are like you know i fucking love horror films i like being scared it's a great time mm-hmm. and then there's people you know maybe like someone on the show named matt who's like <laughs> what well, i i don't like doing that yeah. very often <laughs> which yeah. is so fair because it's strange to have your entertainment be a you negative know, experience. in a way it's almost schrader-esque of of like self-punishment yeah punishes you know? like, totally yeah. totally yeah yeah, um, I mean, it reminds me of. Um, so good. <laughs> it reminds me of this uh, the Richard Avedon quote. Who, if people don't know, Dan Avedon from Game, <laughs> from Game, Game Richard Avedon, <laughs> one of the most famous fashion photographers, photographer, portrait photographers of all time. Anyways, yeah, uh, just uh, just because I think it relates. He says, um, "It's shocking to me that some people would think a work of art shouldn't be disturbing." invasive of course it should be disturbing it should provoke thoughts feelings if it wasn't occasionally disturbing mm-hmm. it would be a failure and i just um yep mm. and i like i totally i totally agree with that but it also is like that doesn't mean that i think everyone should be seeking stuff like that out it's like okay no. if that's what you're yeah. interested in then go for it and i also think it shouldn't be on artists to be like oh i made this really disturbing thing and people aren't responding to it it's like oh well too fucking bad didn't respond to the moment (laughs) yeah yeah you know yeah it's like uh to to go back to justin kurtzell and his his uber film Mm -hmm. um he's he's gotten a lot of backlash for making movies about the the things that he's made movies about Mm -hmm. which i disagree with because i think that they are very important stories to tell Mm -hmm. because they are so fucked up Mm. um but at the same time i listened to this uh abc um uh interview with him where that was brought up and he was like well i understand it i mean this is a confronting thing Mm. people are going to be confronted and i'm totally okay with that and i understand that um and yeah it's quite i mean it's quite it's a almost it's a difficult situation to be in to to want to make something that explores a darker subject but then to you know face the 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 backlash that 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 leads to you know but yeah. um so it's a very think, worthy pursuit in my opinion oh i think it's very worthy indeed it's just like i obviously mm, yes yes and we smoke my pie Oh <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, so I'm ah, smoking. Uh, I'm indubitably smoking so, indubitably so. <laughs> nice dude, that's good character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, fuck, I've totally lost my point. It was Duh, something you about trigger and fractured masculinity. Um, nah, that it, doesn't exist. No, what, okay, yeah, no, okay, it's back. <laughs> what attracted me to it's like that work is great. And all, but also it's like I am I veer more towards um like Matt's taste as far as I really yeah. struggle to watch horror films most of the time. Mm. And like for me going through and watching a lot more of like Schrader's Oeuvre has been 
uh, like sort of the analogy I put is like a sort of like playing fucked up limbo where I'm seeing like how much I'm willing to disturb myself before <laughs> I just like, yeah. no, I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, and sort of like pushing those waters just, you know, to try different experiences because there are a lot of films in his uh, oeuvre that I definitely am like, okay, people, this is not for everyone. Not everyone should watch this. I'm glad it exists, but, you know, let's just leave it at that. But yeah. I think there yeah. are films where it's like, um, when it gets to his best work, like American Gigolo, like Blue Collar, like Taxi Driver, where they thumb the line just eloquently enough that they can address these incredibly dark sides of humanity and yet still be entertaining and accessible to people, to where like yeah. their films, to where it's like, I can basically suggest them to anyone on the street and be like, you should watch this, like, this is good and I think you'll yeah. enjoy it, hmm. you know. Obviously. I guess that to me comes down to the story that you want to tell. Mm. Unfortunately, it's if you're telling a story that is strictly about something like a you know a mass murder, for example. Yeah. Um, to have a scene where someone is you know playing PlayStation with their friend and having a great time, you know, it, while it is actually very important to have some scenes that are like mm. that to show the duality, it. It will take away from the overall effect of yeah of, of the yeah the film I agree itself, because yeah, like if, and the story that you're trying to tell yeah because like if you look at something like this like like blue collar it literally ends on a shot of these two guys who started the movie as best friends in completely opposite positions and they're fucking yeah. going at each other and that's yeah. full stop that is story told but fucking go back to Squid Game. And at the end, they're like, oh, but there's a little glimmer of hope. Maybe humanity yeah. isn't bad after all. And it's like, okay, well, what are you trying to say? Like, do you agree with yeah. your own story yeah, exactly. or do you not? It's like, it's like the think... screenwriters reneging on the promise they've made to you. It's like, okay, we yeah. promised you this sort of message, this sort of story. And then at the end, they're like, exactly. oh, wait, but our producers said us to do this. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, no. So, yeah. It's so, and, well, yeah. you tell the story while you're telling the story. Like mm-hmm. you don't wait until the end to be like, but this is the real and this story. This is the message the whole time. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Like, like that message is meant to be weaved into the entire thing, yeah. not like which is why yeah. uh, this is random. But it's why it's one of the reasons why um, uh, M Night Shyamalan <laughs> films are normal, uh, pretty shit Hell yeah. because <laughs> because you, know, you have like such you have bullshit. who cares. <laughs> a story that's built on on like a twist yeah not built on the story itself yeah, yeah, yeah. like doesn't really have yeah. anything to say <laughs> yeah not uh, that everything should have something to just... say but man yeah, yeah. no yeah. on t- okay on twists i'm i'm a big fucking sucker for a twist griffin have you seen um I love twists. primal fear Primal Fear. No, I've heard. Norton. Is that the one from the 90s? Yeah, dude. It's Ed, no, Edward I'm Norton not. is like a, he's like a 17, oh, oh, 18 year old Oh, wait, kid. wait, wait, wait. Yes, yes, yes. I know the yeah. one you're talking about. That Edward movie film. Yeah. is fantastic. It is so great. It's like up there with you like see, Usual Suspects twist. Okay, okay, okay. You know what, Matt? You do have a point. I take back. I say twists are really easy to fuck up is what I should have said. I know. Really I agree. easy to do yeah. wrong. Mm-hmm. Because when they well, do, do, when they are done right, it's sort of this fascinating, like it recontextualizes the way you interpret the whole thing so that it makes yeah. you want to rewatch and look back to see all the different things, all the different clues. Yeah. And it can be done in a very like effective way if it's foreshadowed beforehand in an interesting way as well. And it also makes sense with the message and the story and also to create 
all sort of coheres, mm-hmm. but there isn't mm-hmm. that cohesion yeah. within the piece to the twist where like it, to where like when the twist happens, it makes so much sense. It almost feels like you already knew it totally. beforehand. Yeah, it and, feel and like that then. I think like I was just listening to what you were saying, thinking about it in the context of squid game, like with the old man being the, the, the puppet master behind the whole thing. Like it kind of, it kind of does recontextualize <laughs> the so story. It, it, yeah, but it kind of does recontextualize the story, and that you can go back and be like, "Oh, that's why he was so like happy and shit." But also, yeah, in that fucking fifteen minute scene where we're meant to be like, "Oh, that's why he did it," it's so bad. Like, I don't, I could yeah, not fucking yeah. care less. Like, it would have been like better I'm not if they getting anything out absolutely. of absolutely. And then they know? try and shovel in the whole like the story the 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 message thing about watching the homeless man be like no one's going to help him because humanity is inherently bad be like you mm-hmm. this is not what you were talking about for the last 10 episodes yeah. of this show like what the fuck are you yeah. doing <laughs> humanity is a spectrum but also naughty naughty totally but um i think that twists uh it's great that we've got under this yeah twists are uh like it's a very performative method of storytelling mm-hmm. where it's like, it's almost like um, stand up, right? Where, you know, you, you go and you see, uh, you know, Richard Pryor, for example, do stand up and you're like, oh shit, he tells a joke and then he yells the punchline. I'm going to get up on stage and be like, why, why does, why does a baby have teeth? To chew food! And that's not going to be funny because there's <laughs> an actual thought put into it. I would you're love just to using see you do that though. The, <laughs> you're just using the 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 template of a twist right 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 to right. yeah to mm. to tell a story yeah whereas as truly for that to be done is you you have the story and you realize holy shit if i if i don't reveal this mm-hmm. that's going to make the rest of this much more interesting yeah, yeah. and that's going to have this effect on the audience yeah, you know? yeah. and it's funny it's funny yeah. how like like talking about twists in that context of like okay well if i don't reveal this it's going to be better at the end it's funny, mm. like, to watch something like Hitchcock's bomb, bomb Under the Table where he's he basically says that, like, suspense is best created in a movie when, you know, if two blokes walk into a, t- walk into a room, they sit down and have coffee, and then after five minutes of talking, they a bomb explodes and uh, that's all. That's not as entertaining as two blokes walk into a room and they sit down to have coffee and the camera pans down and there's a bomb under the table and then it pans back up and you watch them talk for five minutes, yep. then that whole scene is much more entertaining, right? So do mm-hmm. you do you, do you you focus on the twist where you don't reveal, you just give little niggling clues and then you go, voila, or do you go, this was the whole thing and then you're, you know, chewing your nails for the whole show being, the whole movie that, being like, oh, will they find yeah. out? Well, and we, that's, that's where it takes a true artist to do right, right? Because if you then, if you have the bottom under, under the table... And you pan to it. If you then continue to pan to it every fucking thirty seconds yeah. to check in with the bomb, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> which is what they did. <laughs> Could you imagine it's like what they did in like fucking down to look at this bomb? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's which is what they've done in Squid Game. Yeah, mm. like it reminds you know? me of you know um, the greatest screener of all time, Billy Wilder's like one of his famous yes, tenets, which is let the audience Shout put one and one together. They'll you know like they'll just like love you forever mm-hmm. for it. And that's yeah. something that he does so perfectly. Where it's like, Willy Wonka. it's not about just withholding information from the audience. It's about giving them the tools 
to gain the information themselves. Yeah. Instead yeah, of totally. just like explaining it to them, instead of having someone just expose that you and be like, look, yeah. this is the deal. This is the thing. It's like, no, let the audience figure it out. Yeah, because yeah. because and I think that that's that's the issue with mm-hmm. a lot of blockbuster film is that you are making it for an audience that mm-hmm. um you you're making it with the idea that the audience won't be able to think past a certain point. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, There's the, the absolute trusting your audience especially in like sort of mystery or twist or, or suspense movies is so fucking important. Like again, back to squid game. It's essential to the narrative art form. Yeah. And, and it, as you say, Finn, like it makes the audience enjoy it so much more because when, when oh, they yeah. go, Oh, what if these two clues that have been spoon fed to me fit together? Then they go, fuck, I'm a genius. This movie is perfect. But squid game yeah, yeah. does shit. Like it, it's, I, I think it's part of, it's part of Asian cinema as far as I've seen. I've seen a lot of anime but like they just sort of they literally spoon feed you shit they literally cut back in black and white be like remember earlier when the guy had that piece of paper with the phone number on it oh god they cut back to like the quote or something it's like oh but 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 this it's like i know it's like it's 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 like it's the issue with the end of like i think that comes from the serialization of tv right though like like you you go to work in the morning. You come home and watch your favorite episode of the Brady Bunch, and then you go to sleep, and then you do the same thing the next day. But you know, Marsha's hair has been lit on fire in the last episode. But television, and they're just like, "Hey, reminder: the Marsha, Marsha's hair was lit on fire. That's why she's bald." But look, but, I, I can anyway, understand like twenty. 20- 30 years ago, but yeah. now everyone is just yeah. binging. No, exactly. Just exactly. TV shows yeah. still yeah. being an episodic form is just like, it's just sort of a nod to a medium that once existed. These are just long movies that people watch in, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. watch like five TVs episodes this night. Like becoming five the same one. thing now. Yeah. yeah. It's like any system, right? That the lag of, of the old world way of doing things mm-hmm. is always yeah. so fucking frustrating. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, like that's also... Okay, so two points. One, that's the reason why the ending of Blue Collar sucks, which is like, I love it, but at the yep. same time, it's like, because it is doing that exact thing of being like, this is the theme of the film, this is the point, yeah. you get it, yeah. and it's just like, Jesus Christ, please don't. Yeah. But also, one of the things that, like, we were talking about that- And quote, racism was a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> the end. It's also like, uh, talking about cultural lag, which is what makes that period of 78 to 83, right? You know, Coke is so prevalent in Hollywood, so incredible because you have the cultural lag of filmmaking in the 70s taking place, which is how, like, yeah. Schrader goes on a run in his first five films, which is fucking insane, where he does mm-hmm. this, then Hardcore, then American Gigolo, then Cat People, then Mishima, Life in Four Chapters. And it's like, Nine out of ten, ten out of ten, ten out of ten, mm-hmm. nine out of ten, ten out of ten. He just like Jesus Christ, you know. He goes like his first five films are better than Scorsese's first five films head to head. It's ridiculous, mm. you know. And you get all these directors doing that. Like, you get like Warren Beatty coming in. He makes Reds, which is like this, you know, three hour epic film about communists in the nineteen twenties in America. And you just, um, I don't know. You have all those great films happening alongside. I don't know. I just find cultural like so interesting because yeah sometimes it does happen where like with tv now we still have to deal with like these bullshit trends but sometimes it allows great artwork to still exist in a world that doesn't understand it 
Uh, where yeah. like doesn't even want it. And a lot of that lag is because it's beneficial for the people in power, right? A lot, especially in like a political realm, mm. right? Because it's, you know, better to have it how well, it was. Maintaining the status How it well. was, was mm. yeah, to set it, was set up to be beneficial right, like, for yeah. the, whichever, the right people. Whichever producers wrong people. decide to get on board with the first, or not, not the first, but with a movie that is released in three parts over three weeks or something, they're not going to make a ton of money yeah. out of it, but it's going to change the culture. Mm. Like, Yeah, for sure. And, and we see that with Netflix now, like shows are starting to not have those callbacks really as much anymore mm-hmm. because it's totally unnecessary mm-hmm. and every show should should do it but there are you know there needs to be pioneers mm-hmm. yeah um it's interesting with particularly you particularly unions in um it works in it works for, for australia as well but in america so unions were a massive thing in the you know starting even around the turn of the century yeah. um because w- workers were so exploited and they still are mm-hmm. but but in the 80s uh, and 70s, um, it became so corrupt um, and broken of a, of a system. Yeah, Hoffa. for example, yeah. It, um, <laughs> it became such a corrupt system that um, both sides of the political spectrum started to dislike unions because it's like, yeah. oh, the right, it's like, oh, well, unions are just, like, there to get people their rights, which are bullshit, I want my mm-hmm. money. And the left is like, well, this is just a, a puppet show so we can pump money into the, the pockets of the people that have their pockets mm-hmm. open. Um, mm-hmm. But, but in and it's just very, very fucking unfortunate because unions, to me at least, are so important. And we've mm-hmm. seen it in Australia in recent history, um, I, I being on work sites talking about unions, people like because it's they have it already so good where a union is set up quite well and in it fights for the workers' right in rights in you know generally pretty well. Um, you just stop giving a shit mm-hmm. and you're like it, and it almost swings the other way, or at least from anecdotally from my perspective, where I'm like, oh, unions are a great thing. You're like, oh no, they're kind of annoying. Like they get in the way of work sometimes, mm. you know and and which is, you know, there's definitely definitely truth to that. Un- yeah. Unfortunately, it's sort of a bullshit thing because there's a reason it gets in the way of work. Yeah. yeah. It's, just, it, it's um, so fascinating um, that, like, this film, that, you know, that a film exists about unions, though, as well. Because it's such, like, yeah. you know, like, it affects yeah, and people I, well, that's, who, like, that's, that's the... and so on. But so many people were just like, who the fuck cares about unions? Like, yeah. it doesn't even affect yeah. so much and... of those most cinema-going audiences. Yeah, it's a fucking thing that I pay like two dollars a week to, and like yeah, I exactly. don't care about. Yeah, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I feel like our generation um, but, is really confused about but, unions because, as you say, we've had this like yeah. there's been this grand up and down history on both sides of politics where like we and now, now we don't know like okay, are they important? But are they always inherently corrupt or like yeah. ah, what do we do? It's like all all it is to a young person as well is like. Here's this thing I sign up for. I get free fucking movie tickets yeah, every month totally. or whatever the fuck. Totally. But mm-hmm. also, like, I heard that they're doing really sketchy things, yeah. and I don't understand what's going on. But uh, with uh, to my to all of this has been leading to me trying to say that I would love to see a film right now, especially a bigger film mm. that explores. I mean, I know the Irishman did it, but <laughs> shout out Irishman. Um, <laughs> 
Great movie. But, but in, a, in a Santa. more overt <laughs> and directly about... <laughs> shout out to the Irish man. <laughs> in a more, more overt, overt directly um, about unions mm-hmm. um, and about... And I would like to see one about what unions were in the 70s and 60s mm-hmm. and even before that and or, and strikes and picket lines and, and all of that jazz because I think that that information is sort of died down now and died mm-hmm. and, uh, and all, all those, you know, civil rights is what they were mm-hmm. fighting for, workers' rights, you know, which play directly into civil rights mm-hmm. um, is what they were fighting for and it's now sort of like an unknown history. Yeah. And then... And then a, a film also could be about what it is now, where where it's like still slightly corrupt, you know, but but yeah, it's underplayed and yeah, it's yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just really want to see that. No, I, no, I, that's no, what totally... gravitated me towards this film so much. Is like it's about fucking unions. Yeah, yeah. what the, the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's something that's just fascinating is that Schrader only took this project because he was trying to pivot out of being a screenwriter into being a director. And this was the only project <laughs> that he could get funding for because prior would be attached. But at the same time, yeah. he still struggled to make money for it, uh, to get funding because it had two African-Americans so and cocaine. one white guy. Yeah, well, and yeah. everyone oh. was just like, you're doing it wrong. You don't know. It's the other way around. <laughs> and it's just yeah. like, yeah. Shit. But I still, yeah. I'm just so glad that a film like this exists and that a great, you know, cinematic genius like Paul Schrader tackled a topic like this because generally this is something that you'd see like a French benefit it would be someone like a very obscure director would make a film like this like you see it's like really obscure Italian films for example or really yeah. concerned with like unions and working but like how many people like know about those films unless you're like a film exactly. student or a cinephile like you're never even gonna heard of these directors I would also say that this film sort of falls into that in a way too. Whereas I don't, not sure if it. I think I I would like this film to be more well known. I think it's Um, it's accessible though because almost everyone knows Taxi Driver. Yeah, and that's like you can just be like, oh, it's the guy did Taxi Driver, and then that gives people some sort of frame. You know, the number one film of like serious films for Richard Pryor. So if anyone who is interested in that, yeah, there's also Jojo Dancer, Life is Calling, which is basically his like cinematic autobiography that he directed himself. Yeah, which is fucking incredible as well. Sweet, cool. Is it as good as Bruce's Millions? (laughs) (laughs) I've not seen Bruce's Millions, so I cannot report on that. (laughs) All right. Have you seen a a bad film? (laughs) Yes. All right, boys. Well, it's not that. It's it's okay. Uh, before we wrap right, up, boys. do you guys yeah, have nah. any uh, any recommendations? Anything interesting you've been reading, watching, playing recently? Oh, I just um, I just watched the new this new documentary that came out this year by Todd Haynes called The Velvet Underground, which is about the band with the same name, mm-hmm. and it was unbelievable, fascinating. So much just like stock footage, just like this incredible portrayal of that time period. <laughs> And also just relearning about the Velvet Underground, which is a band that I only knew because like narcissistic, artistic douches like me used to listen to them back in high school. <coughs> so that's my only frame of reference. So <laughs> yeah. actually like, you know, seeing a really fantastic documentary about it. So I definitely advise that to anyone. All right. Beautiful. I recently heard some, some, it was actually the, uh, one of the members of TISM, if you guys know who yeah, that is. Yeah, TISM are um, fucking great. <laughs> Oh, that's that's awesome! I, I I went to um, 
I went to work the other day after learning about TISM. Um, and I went to my boss. I was like, hey, let's put some TISM on and get to some fucking paint some shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he was yeah. just like, just bust up laughing because he hadn't even heard that. Well, anyway, <laughs> so good. one of the members of TISM, I listened to it on a podcast and he was like, oh, fucking floofy Velvet Underground fans. And I'm like, but they make really good music and I enjoy it. What's, <laughs> it's just, what's going it's, on? It's just because they have the reputation of like being attached to Warhol yeah. and everything. Like it's what, yeah. it's what yeah. everyone's and I like. I like it so much. <laughs> New Reed is like every heroin addict's favorite, you know, musician. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like one of his best songs is literally called Heroin. It's like, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, um, uh, in terms of media I've been watching, well, I've, been you know watching some horror film here and there um because it's spooky, spooky season yeah it is spooky season spooky, season. spooky october we're, but we're... i just wanted to i know i've spoken about it in length but i just wanted to recommend people justin kurt sales like directly be like hey you should watch these films mm. um did you know guys did, did, did you know here we go that Justin Kurtzell directed the Assassin's Creed. Oh, fuck. <laughs> what? Yeah. That so, yeah. don't watch Hot that one. <laughs> that was yeah, don't watch that one. That sounds like a cinema uh, episode. That dude, that movie, yeah, that man. movie was bad for a plane movie. That was fucking hot yeah. street trash. I can't believe you turned that film on. On a plane. But, um, I was on a plane and I, I turned it off because yeah, I hated it matter. so much. <laughs> I was on a plane. I had literally nothing else to do, and I was like, "I no, don't doesn't matter, watch man. This you, movie. You, you could have removed your fingernails." <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, True History of the Kelly Gang, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a movie, Macbeth, which I haven't seen yet, but I assume is in the same sort of lane as the Kelly Gang one. But particularly Snowtown and Nit Ram, I can't recommend enough. I think it's he's just brilliant. Great. Um, I, I, and he works with uh, the same writer for both of those. I can't remember their name. Okay, nice. But yeah. Um, I just recently got around to um, watching Argo for the first time. That movie is oh, yeah. great. It is, it's a little bit yeah. Ben affleck yeah. like sucking his own dick. Like, but there's literally Ben Affleck a shot. goes off. Have you seen there's... The Town by him as well? I love The Town. No, I haven't. did that like okay. a couple years before. But it's just like... Ben Affleck is low-key really good director. He is, Loki, yeah, really he good. is. Yeah. There's just like there's yeah. a shot, there's a shot of him like it, the shot opens on him just putting a shirt on in the mirror, and you just see his fucking ripped abs, and like it's completely unrelated to the rest of the scene. And I'm just th- sitting there it's thinking, like, like, man, he just really just said to the set, he's like, all right, now yeah. I'm gonna put on a shirt and look real sexy, and then you guys look at it. <laughs> also, slightly controversial. <laughs> Ben Affleck facts, which I just love to throw out. One, the side dick in Gone Girl is fantastic and Ben yes, Affleck at his best. Definitely. Um, but also, did you guys know that um, for Gone Girl, because you guys did an episode on it, but mm. actually when they were trying to find someone for the mistress role, Ben Affleck was like, I know someone and put Emily Ratajkowski forward. As, yes, like, dude. Should play yes. The role, knowing I, straight up that they're going to have sex scenes. I'm I like, know. that is such a fucking insane big ball from really? Mr. Affleck. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. We have a different definition of baller. Yeah, I wouldn't say baller. I would say, I would say like predatory, but you know. <laughs> yeah, um, you're right. You're right. Uh, 
Yeah, but I um I have also been uh playing a game called Subnautica Below Zero, which is just like super great ah. ocean exploration mm-hmm. game. It's really fun, man. Fucking awesome game. So great, yeah. so colorful. Um but yeah, otherwise, uh, yeah, I've been watching that Wu Tang show too. Uh, I mentioned that already. Yeah, you wouldn't mm-hmm. wouldn't pretty recommend good it. show if you love Wu Tang. <laughs> pretty bad show if you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and another thing I've been watching, which is, this is a, a sort of a sideways recommendation, but is in my opinion very fucking funny and good, is a little show Australian show made in Melbourne by a bunch of comedians and people. Called Gamey Gamey Games. It's a show about video games. It's a panel show, but um, there is two people on it that have just this incredible banter. Who are um, Naomi fucking what's her name? Fuck, isn't it? <laughs> Naomi? Um, no. I've forgotten her name. It's Naomi. Uh, it's it's Mark Bernard. I uh, don't even want to. I don't even want to classify her ads yeah. because she's so much. No, more. that's all right. Just scrap um, it. She's mm. she's good. Naomi and Ben Ben Russell, um, who I think is my favorite like local comedian on podcast on on screen. Yeah, comedian from Australia. Yeah. It just makes me laugh so fucking hard, and it's such a good show because I have such a casual relationship with video games. I quite enjoy video games, but I don't play them too often. Um, especially because I just, you know, don't find that many video games that I get right into, especially, you know, enough to complete them. And this show is perfect for that because it's about video games, but I would say the majority of episodes, 70% of the discussion is just bullshit rambles. (laughs) So, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I really do actually recommend people give that a shot. So yeah. um, by the time this episode comes out, Melbourne will finally be out of lockdown. Um, and we can highly, highly, highly recommend uh, that you go out and support your, support your local cinemas because they've lost a whole fuck bunch of money uh, over the last few months. Yeah, man. Um, and little cinemas like uh, Lido and um, well, the Rivoli is, isn't really an independent Cinema one, Nova. But Cinema Nova, Astor. yeah. Asta, yeah. But even the non-independent ones, I t- spoke to friend of the show, Alex Boucher, even the non-independent ones are struggling yeah. because it's just like, yeah. you know, so Jam long factory, that they've been out of Please, yeah, please yeah. do not do not let streaming become the future of cinema. <laughs> um, go out and buy yeah. some tickets, buy some chalk tops. Um, <laughs> and otherwise, you Talk can... Talk shit about your local squid game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, you can email the show at cinemanx.com at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you if you have any stories about movies, recommendations for movies, or just any wholesome anecdotes surrounding movies. We would love to hear from some of our listeners. Um, If you've watched the Batman trailer and want to to talk about that. Oh, Batman. You said it. Is that real or did I dream that? No, that's real. And that's a genuine That's real. It came out like Yeah, no, that came out yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, sweet. Um, That was crazy to look at. You can find the Batman trailer somewhere on YouTube. You can find Batman in Joel's dreams. Um, (laughs) You can find the podcast Instagram. We've been doing some fun stuff in there recently. You can find the podcast Instagram at Cinemanx Podcast. Uh, You can find Joel at, what's your Instagram name right now? Um, reverse midnight cowboy. No. And Shut up! Find, uh, <laughs> you can find 
Ben Griffin at um, uh, Radical Acceptance and Cinnamon. Yeah, you'll figure it out. And you can find me... How dare you? <laughs> ...outside smoking on weed. You can find me on Instagram at <laughs> smells good with two M's. Fuck. And <laughs> boys... You can find me in the gutter. <laughs> let's all go and smoke a bit of weed together, because I love you. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. We endorse THC in this house. No, you. you I'm I'm, no, no. Right. Hold on. I don't know if you guys have done this before, but I say I love you, and then you say I love you back, and we end the show. I don't say I love you, and you both go, "Yep." <laughs> hey, uh... <laughs> okay. Hey, uh, Finn. Um, how's your day? No, Finn? please. Oh. I'm hungry, man. I gotta go eat cheetos. <laughs> yeah. Hey... <laughs> <laughs> we're not no. we're not letting Matt um, go. You're trapped. You're trapped. No, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry, Matthew. We love you. I, we I love, love you, too. Matthew. I love you too, Matthew. I love, I love you. I love you everyone. too, Joel. Love you.